0: Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is great to be in worship with you tonight. Tim and I are going to attempt to tag team this message. First time we're trying this on a holiday.
1: We did it one time.
0: True, an hour ago. An hour ago. <laughs> but I want to start out just by saying Christmas has become about a lot of different things. It's become about exchanging presents. Family, food, so much food. It's become about peppermint lattes and cookie exchanges and Santa. It has become about a lot of things. Mostly Christmas has become a sentimental holiday. Even in church, it's often about cozy Christmas carols and candlelight. But when we look to the ancient scriptures, we see a deeper definition for this day. And in Luke 1, which Beatrice just read for us, Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaks some words that show us that the birth of Christ is about something much deeper than just candlelight tonight. Uh, Unlike the mild, nostalgic pictures of Mary that we often see in art, representations of her, um, unlike those photos, her words in this song that was just read, they are fierce, they are strong, and they are revolutionary. Actually, throughout history, Mary's song often called the Magnificat, has been embraced all around the world. There is, n- there is no one culture that has a hold exclusively on these words of Mary's. Uh, in fact, it is remarkable to see just how many times Mary's Magnificat shows up in music. All around the world, people sing the words, of this section of scripture, and um, we put together just a short little 30-second montage for you to see how often these words show up in music worldwide. Uh, So this is Mary's song. Let's take a look.
1: I will use this microphone. We'll share. Susie now will demonstrate sharing. It's one of the pairs activity that you will learn. (laughs) Sharing. So not only have these words been used in song and in church liturgies, um, but these words have been used in revolution. And if you've studied or looked at the Magnificat at all, it is fascinating how it has been banned for use in a lot of different places throughout history. So in particular, in India, While under British rule, um, the Magnificat was banned, they couldn't use it in church liturgy, in singing or in reading. Um, In the 80s, it was banned in Guatemala. And in the 70s and 80s, it was used in Argentina um, after and during the war by the mothers who lost their children who would post the words of the Magnificat around town as just a, a statement. And they banned the use of the Magnificat at that time. So it is this this song that has been used um, for revolution and pulling from the words that Mary said. And of course, these words sang by Mary are some of the the longest speech that a woman has given in the scriptures. And it's fascinating just for that reason alone, but it also harkens back to Hannah and her song that she um, gave, and also it harkens back to the prophets and their anguish that they were in, in what they were writing. So Mary's Magnificat is a powerful piece of literature in and of itself. Um, But it is also, as we are about to read a quote, but is the first Christmas carol ever sung. Just think how different this is as a song compared to the ones that we're singing today. But... um, One man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said this um, shortly before being executed um, by the Nazis in Advent in 1933, not all that long ago. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. And this is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings, This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Amen is right. So Mary's song moves beyond sentimentality at Christmas and moves toward this revolutionary declaration of God's ethics in the kingdom of God. Mary recognizes that it's God's holiness, his intervention into our world, that is what matters and what, at the heart of what her song is. So not sentimentality, but a breaking through of God's justice and God's making things right and putting things in order and human flourishing. As you heard the reading of the song, maybe you heard the three parts, but I'll break them down real quickly. Mary begins part one, that she's recognizing God's holiness, his power, his transcendence. And then in the second part, she talks about the upside-down way of God's kingdom. And then third, she gives that command that we also should go and do likewise. So those are the three parts as it breaks down. In Mary's song, it is not partisan, but it is political. By which I mean it's not this pie-in-the-sky ethic of religion that is just wishy-washy in a way, but it's earthy and gritty and as on earth as it is in heaven, kind of God's ethic in his kingdom. So it doesn't take sides like we do because it favors no one but God, and it favors no one but the people who favor God, and it opposes no one either but it only does actually oppose those who oppose God and those who abuse the vulnerable. Mary's song reveals the ethics of the kingdom of God. So, we wonder, what are those ethics?
0: (laughs) So, ethic one is God opposes the proud, but he blesses the humble. Mary says God has scattered those who were proud about the thoughts of their hearts. And really, we see this theme all throughout scripture, not just in Mary's song. In Proverbs 3.34, we read, he has no use for conceited people, but shows favor to those who are humble. Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's interesting when you think about someone like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is someone who dined with presidents and princes. And yet she would say she preferred to be among the poor and among the vulnerable because it was there in serving and ministering that she said she saw the face of Jesus. Richard Rohr says this about human beings. He says, it's almost impossible to fall in love with majesty, power, or perfection. These make us both fearful and codependent, but seldom truly loving. We see that God opposes the proud and blesses the humble even in the pattern of Christ himself. Christ did not come in power or pizzazz or privilege. He came in the most humble and the most vulnerable way. Born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. The most humble, the most vulnerable way so the first ethic Mary is talking about in God's kingdom is that God opposes the proud but he gives um, but he, he blesses the humble so ethic two take it away Tim
1: <laughs> oh it's so fun <laughs> ethic number two God God <laughs> I know yes <laughs> we covered that with the electrical outage a couple weeks ago Um, ethic two, God opposes those who abuse power, but he lifts the marginalized. And in Mary's song, she says that God has thrown down princes from their thrones and raised up those of low condition. You know, the problem with power is not power. The problem with power is the abuse of power and how it's used in improper ways. In the Christmas story, we have two characters who both have power. We have King Herod, who raised himself up in power in the Roman system by abusing people and stepping on a lot of people along the way. But then you have, in contrast, the wise men, who also have a lot of power. But they use their power to go follow this star. They go after this thing that is a mystery to them, And they spend their power doing that. So when God decided to announce the arrival of his son, he came to the lowly shepherds instead of to the religious leaders. You know, he came to the Gentile, different country astrologers rather than coming to Herod. God ultimately came to earth through a marginalized teenager a girl rather than a noble queen.
0: Ethic three in Mary's song is that God opposes those who hoard wealth, but he provides for those in need. Mary says that God has filled the hungry with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. And frequently throughout the scriptures, we see a theme of hoarding wealth being considered regarded as wrong. And it's interesting as you look into this ethic of God's kingdom that Mary speaks of, um, Robert Morris, an author in his book, The Blessed Life, um, points out that there are two extremes in theology concerning materialism. One is the prosperity gospel, and then the other one is the poverty gospel. So the prosperity gospel would say God desires everyone to be rich. God desires for you to be wealthy. That would be the prosperity gospel. The poverty gospel would say, no, God wants everyone to be poor. God wants you to be poor. If you're really spiritual, you will be poor. But he points out in the book, that misses the point of the ethic Mm -hmm. altogether, that God does not want you to be wealthy or impoverished. God wants you to be generous. And that has a lot more to do with motivation the net worth. It has to do with when things come into my life, when blessings come into my life, do I hoard them or am I generous with those blessings? That is what Mary is speaking to in this third ethic. When Mary says God opposes those who hoard wealth, she's speaking of motivation. Uh, a person can be bound by hoarding wealth even when they perceive themselves to have no wealth. This is a matter of the heart. Um, we have a Christmas Eve tradition here at Platt Park, which is that when you leave in just a little bit, you will receive a blessing bag as you go. It's a, it's a Ziploc bag and inside of it, there are some things like socks and hand warmers and granola bar and a water bottle. And we just would ask you to take one of those, keep it in your car, And when you see someone in need, uh, maybe someone holding a sign uh, as you're driving, uh, maybe just when you meet someone out and about who is in need, we would ask that you would give that blessing bag away this Christmas. Basically, it is like a little winter survival kit for the homeless here in Denver. And it is a small but practical way that we seek to connect with someone in need and by doing so, to just play a small part in rooting out that tendency in all of us to ignore, turn away, and even hoard. Hopefully, hopefully just by doing this simple practice of handing out a blessing bag, we can join God in his providing for those in need, and live out Mary's song, live out the ethics of God's kingdom. So what do we learn about from Mary's song at Christmas? Basically, we learn this. God expects that his people would model their priorities after his. Mary says this. He has given help to Israel, his servant, so as to remember to show mercy. And so... This Christmas Eve, may you and I remember that we are blessed to be a blessing, restored to go work for restoration. When you are given peace, may you extend peace to others and live out the ethics of God's kingdom, live out the ethics of Mary's song. May it be true that in his name, all oppression shall cease. Let's pray together as we close. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, come, thy will be done, done, on on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily daily bread, bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass trespass against us and lead Lead us us not not into temptation. temptation,